Good morning. How y'all doing today? Take a Bible and open up to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. If you've got a pew Bible, it's page 552. If you can't read your pew Bible, that's on purpose because you're supposed to bring your own. We make it the, the font so small that you'll be persuaded to bring your own Bible. There's a phrase uh, that uh, some of you may know, others of you might not, but uh, it, it describes a kind of person that, uh, that goes through life and uh, they're just do, 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 task, task, task. They go from one thing to the next, um, but they don't really stop and recognize what's happening around them. Some might use the phrase, you know, stop and smell the roses. Others might say, you know, you, you were at the party, but you missed the celebration. In the scriptures, Jesus speaks of a kind of living in which uh, some people will, will get it, They'll understand what God is doing and what's most important in this life as men and women who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. There'll be some who get it and who live it. And then there'll be some that, that don't get it and that just go through the motions. In one portion of the Gospels, in Matthew 9, Jesus uh, it says, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That statement in verse 37, the laborers are few, if Matthew 9, even though it was probably spoken by Jesus as a, a spiritual evaluation of the people, it was also physically and numerically a true statement as well in first century Israel. For you see, Israel as a people, the Jewish people, they'd regressed from being a spiritually alive people into a pharisaical kind of people. A pharisaical kind of religion in which all that was religion was jot and tittle of the law. Following law. When Jesus came, his teaching was in the minority. Most Jews rejected Jesus. The laborers as Jesus put it, were few because there just weren't that many Christians to begin with. But today Christianity is one of the world's most dominant religions. 
Indeed, physically and numerically, we can actually say that while the harvest is still plentiful, the labor force is numerically large. But Jesus' words still apply too. Because you see, the laborers of the 21st century are often very complacent. They lack a sense of urgency. They're comfortable. And they make many excuses for their lack of work. Still, God is inviting us to be a part of the harvest, a harvest of souls, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to have a part in pointing men, women, and children away from darkness and death and toward the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a part in bringing and ushering people into the kingdom of God. And it's the greatest calling of all. It's the celebration. You've been a part of the party. But are you a part of the celebration? Have you seen the roses? Yes, you all have. But have you stopped to smell them and realize that this is what's most precious? And that is bringing men, women, and children to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, the kingdom of God is likened to a feast. And that's where we are in Luke chapter 14. Would you stand with me as we read from Luke chapter 14? We're going to read about the kingdom of God being likened to a feast. Verses 16 to 24. Luke 14, 16 to 24. Let's read it together. And then Jesus said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come! For all things are now ready. But they all, that is those invited, they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, Oh, I've bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Verse 20, still another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, master, it is done as you've commanded and still there is room then the master said to the servant then go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in for my that my house may be filled for i say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper our heavenly father o oh lord by your holy spirit would you give us eyes to see your word Would you give us the clarity of mind, spiritually renewed minds, to read your word and by your spirit to understand it, to let it sink down deep into our hearts and cause personal change and transformation as we learn the truths that you have for us this day. It's in Christ's name we pray. 
Amen. You may be seated. Look again at verse 18 to 20. There was the invitation was given, right? The, 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 we're likening the kingdom of God, Jesus is, Jesus is, to a feast. And the master is inviting many. There's a great supper, verse 16. A certain man gives a great supper, invites many. He sends his servant at supper time and says, Come, all things are ready. Verse 18, But they all with one accord began to make excuses. Excuses. Circle that word if you've got a Bible. Excuses. The first said, Ah, you know what? I've, uh, I just bought some land. I just, you know, I got some real estate and I've been, I've been focused on my real estate investment and, uh, you know, I, I just, I need to go look at it. I need to go see it. I need to go prepare and plan a little bit more. I, I've got investments that I'm overseeing. And I've got to go tend to this land. Would you excuse me from the feast? Verse 19. Another said, I, I've, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I, I, I'm, I gotta, I, I've been shopping. I've been looking for the right tools for, for my, my, my farm. I, I have to get the right things for my family so that I can provide and, and, and make a living and supply for their needs and, and I had to I, I got these these cattle so that we could we could plow the field so that our family could be uh, well fed and taken care of and I just I got to tend to my household duties I have a lot of duties at the home I have a lot of mouths to feed a lot of responsibilities personal responsibilities familial responsibilities would you excuse me from this feast still another said I've, I've married a wife. And uh, though most of them don't take very much time at all, uh, this one does. Though most don't need much attention, this one does. And I, I need to tend to her, to, to her needs, to what she needs from me emotionally. And I need to support her and, and we need to... Uh, to, to grow up as a strong family unit. We're going to have kids soon. And, and when we have kids, I'll be even more busy. I'll have more responsibilities. Would you please excuse me from this great feast that you have invited me to? Excuses. These were excuses of the first century that made a lot of sense to first century ears. Uh, as Jesus spoke this parable in Luke 14, uh, the people would, hearing it would have said, oh yeah, I, I know that excuse. I've heard that excuse. I've given that excuse. It's a good excuse. Were Jesus to retell this parable today, they would probably be in a little bit different terms. Maybe a 21st century excuse would be, you know, uh, Lord, I know you have this feast prepared, this harvest, this participation in the great kingdom of God. I know that 
that that is what is great and wonderful and something that I'm supposed to be a part of. But Lord, I'm very busy right now. I'm very busy. I've got soccer games and, and volleyball and I'm taking my children to karate. We have a number of other activities planned today. And I, I'm so busy, Lord, Lord, just let me get through today, today's activities, and then I'll be able to set aside some time for you. Oh, Lord, my, my favorite TV show is on tonight. The sports game that I've been waiting for is on. Lord, let me, let me just finish this last show, and then I'll have some time for the feast. Lord, I need to focus on my job. You see, I've... I have a kind of a, a lifestyle, Lord. I have a lifestyle that I've developed and I'm just behind in fulfilling all the bills that I've accumulated and I need to work more, longer hours um, to just make my lifestyle work. And so would you let me just for one more, one more year, Lord, one more year, let me work hard, let me catch up and then I'll be ready for the feast. Lord, my house, it's a mess. It's a mess all the time. And so would you just give me just this one day to just clean it, get it in order, make it perfect. And then once it's perfect, I will then be ready for the feast. And there are many others. God, as God hears uh, the excuses... As the master of Luke 14 hears the excuses, uh, his heart breaks. His heart breaks. You don't read that in the text. All you read is uh, verse 21. You read the word angry. The servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly. And he, and he goes off to invite, invite others to the feast. But anger, of course, is actually a, uh, it's a secondary emotion. Anger is not a primary emotion. Um, it's it's a little, little bit of psychobabble, if you would indulge me. Anger is a secondary uh, emotion. It's something that occurs after a primary emotion that m- most of the time we're not even aware of. Sometimes we just f- flip to anger. And we don't realize that there's actually an emotion that's leading us toward anger. A primary, a first emotion. Those emotions can be things like disappointment, frustration, feeling neglected, overlooked, misunderstood, not respected, and all of these, these primary feelings that, that come into our heart then lead toward something else, like perhaps anger. It'll, it'll lend toward a secondary kind of emotion like anger. But those primary emotions like disappointment and frustration, like your heart breaking, is what's actually coming first. As God hears these excuses, His heart breaks disappointment sets in for him and then comes frustration for him and then comes a righteous jealousy and an anger 
that the Lord rightly has toward us because He knows just how much it cost Him to make us one of His own. It was the same kind of righteous anger that He expressed toward the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Israel in Jesus' day. We read about this kind of anger in verse 21 of our parable here. That servant came and he reported the things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, read, disappointed, frustrated, heartbreaking, disrespected, resulting in anger, righteous anger, said to his servant, go out into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it's done. I've done it as you've commanded. And still there's more room. Then the master said to the servant, Go into the highways and the hedges, the furthest periphery of society, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled for this feast. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. If we keep making excuses, if we keep putting conditions on when and how and how long we will let God use us in any given day, then God is going to find and use someone else to accomplish His purpose. Not speaking here of matters of heaven and hell. I'm speaking here with respect to matters of being used as a worker in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Are you going to be a laborer with God in this endeavor? Or are you going to be someone that is passed by because you had excuses? That's the question. Do you want God to use you or pass you by for someone who is ready and willing to listen for His voice and move when He calls you to action? He's heard your excuses and He has surely heard mine. And the excuses are growing very, very old. I have a good excuse. Just about every week, it is a fantastic excuse. I am so proud of this excuse. I've been working on it for years. And I've honed it down so that it, it, just, it just rolls off the tongue. And everyone who hears it is like, that's a good excuse. That is a good excuse. This excuse comes every Saturday. It's an excuse that tricks my mind and others into thinking that I'm unavailable for anything else. My excuse on Saturday is I have to finish my sermon. I have to finish my sermon. Sorry, honey. I can't help with bedtime tonight. I have to do the Lord's work. Sorry, those of you moving from one house to the next. I would love to pick up boxes and fill your U-Haul but I have some spiritual things that I need to do. You know me. I'm a pastor. I do those kinds of spiritual things. 
I can't do anything else on a Saturday. I can't help someone with a, a menial task. I can't put the kids to bed. I can't help my wife for much of the day because I'm attending to some very important spiritual matters. I have to finish my sermon. Last night I was having a particular uh, difficult uh, evening finishing up this sermon. A very difficult time, namely because, uh, and I don't mean to throw out excuses, but our, our house is just a disaster. We've had leaks, we've had plumbing problems. My, my office, if you were to see it, you would laugh. I don't know where anything is. We're just living in chaos and dust. And uh, so having a difficult time in that environment, trying to just put the finishing touches on the message, I decided to go to, sometimes I'll, I'll do this, and I decided last night to go to Starbucks in uh, San Juan Capistrano. It's a beautiful, anybody been to the Starbucks in San Juan Capistrano right downtown? It's a great little Starbucks, great little coffee house. And uh, I'll, I'll go down there, I'll take my Bible, my study uh, books and my notes and my pen and I'll just have a quiet moment to just put those finishing touches uh, on the message. I went to uh, buy a cup of coffee, got a small, what do you call it? A tall, yeah, I always say small, venti, what the, what the heck is a venti? I don't even know. I got a small coffee and I went over to, the, to get the cream. So I walk over to the cream and the, and the, the half and half in the sugar is, is right next to a window that looks outside to the street. And as I'm you know, getting ready to, to put those finishing touches, I, I've, got, I, I've got my evening plan. I'm going to sit down, I'm going to have a quiet cup of coffee and spend about two hours or so just getting those last touches uh, appropriated for the message to be just right and as I'm pouring half and half and the sugar into my coffee and beginning to stir it I look up to the street and I see there uh, a large a homeless man uh, sitting out on uh, the street side bench the man was in a wheelchair he had a thin uh, sweatshirt on with a hood pulled over his head, over the top really, so the, his eyes were very much shaded. He was wrapped in a blanket, a thin one at that, smoking a little uh, cigarette which he had, he had knocked off the filter so that he said he could get more tobacco out of it. He was slowly moving back and forth to keep warm. It was, it was a pretty cold night actually as the night progressed that night. And as I saw him stirring my coffee, Bible, notes, study materials, uh, ready and waiting for me, I started, to, uh, I started to feel the Spirit of God pulling at my heart. And I thought, oh, come on. Come on. I have a sermon, Lord. I have a sermon to finish. I have more important things to do. I'm an important person, Lord. Don't you know that? This sermon will not get done if I go outside and talk with this man. I'll be up all night, Lord. I can't. I can't do it. The people need a good message tomorrow. They, I need a couple more illustrations. I need that one funny joke so that I can be a little bit funnier than Tom was last week. 
I have things to do. I have more important things to do, Lord, than, than to talk to a homeless guy. But the Spirit of God would not let up on my heart. And I knew that I could not, in good conscience, sit down and prepare a great Bible-based, spiritually powerful sermon if I was not even willing to let the Spirit tell me what to do. And God said quietly, He said, Neil, your message will be meaningless if you aren't listening to me. And so I walked outside. It was 7.30 last night. And the sun had set and darkness was setting in. And it was cold. But I heard God speak and I decided to act. His name was Bill. He was in his mid-50s from New York with the accent and all. He was the young, he's the youngest of eight kids, six brothers, one sister. Called himself the black sheep of the family. He's been on the street since he was 18. 18. He came to California in 1979, which I uh, didn't want to say was the year I had been born. He uh, recently found himself in a wheelchair, a bad right leg, swollen knee, swollen foot, uh, diabetes really going awry for him. He said he was a Christian. As, uh, as I first approached him, I sat down on the bench next to him, which I, I uh, later found out was the bench upon which he has been sleeping the last five nights. And as I turned and started talking to him, he wasn't responsive um, because I didn't realize it, but he had headphones on. When I finally kind of motioned to him, he took the headphones out and said, Ah, oh, that was a lousy pastor. He was listening to a sermon. I didn't have the courage to ask which one. <laughs> but I was curious and hopeful that it was not me. But he said that he was a Christian. And uh, he certainly demonstrated that by his words. He came to faith and was baptized at a local church here in South Orange County. The pastor that first introduced him to the Lord is actually still pastoring today. But Bill, this homeless man, said that the pastor in the church, uh, subsequent to his coming to faith, they, uh, he said they, just, they were phony. And they abandoned him as his homelessness persisted. He went to another church in Lake Forest, and uh, he, an elder pulled him aside and said, I'm going to take you to Walmart and buy you whatever you need. Bill was shocked by that and he got into the elder's car and they drove to Walmart and sure enough that elder bought Bill all sorts of blankets and clothing and food, a radio and many, many other things. So much that he could not even hardly carry it all. But then as Bill went back on subsequent Sundays and continued to have a few uh, physical and monetary needs, he was eventually told by another individual in the church, quote, we don't like your kind always taking but never giving back. So he left that church too. He talked a lot about being spirit-filled. He said he did not sense the spirit in very many churches in South Orange County. I agreed with him on that. I asked him, where do you see the spirit? And he said, I see it at uh, Christian Mission Church 
up off of Forbes near Crown Valley in the Five. And I asked why. He said that Pastor Dick Reeve, who is now in glory, always befriended him. He said that now Dick's son, Pastor Dave Reeve, has continued that friendship. Bill said that the church lets him sleep inside the church building every Halloween night. He says it's dangerous to be a homeless man on the street on Halloween. And Pastor Reeve, both pastors, Reeves, have always been gracious to open up the church for that evening to him. We spoke for two hours. And it wasn't until the end that he asked me what I did. I told him that I was a pastor. He asked what I was preaching on tomorrow. And looking down at my notes that were maybe three-quarters of the way finished, I turned back to him and said, I don't know anymore. I said, I'm just trying to listen to God and do what he says. And Bill said, he said, preach on love, mercy, and peace. He said, the world is mean. People are mean. And they need to be reminded to just love each other. I asked him how the church could do a better job of loving people like him. He said he just wants a place to sleep and warm clothes. He said he could use a new wheelchair because his current one is about to break. He said maybe we could take up a love offering for him. I prayed for Bill and I gave him the $20 bill that I had left in my wallet and I drove back home. There was nothing magnificent about those two hours. Nothing at all. There was no great miracle. There was no mighty spiritual event or breakthrough either in Bill's life or in mine. There was just a simple conversation, a lot of listening, and maybe, just maybe, a little bit of help for him and for me. I walked away a little confused, wondering why God had impressed upon my heart to have a two-hour conversation with a homeless man that didn't seem to go many places. It, it didn't feel like a waste, but neither did it feel like I had accomplished much. But that was just it. You see, we uh, Western American evangelicals are always looking to accomplish something great. Always. It's got to be great or it's nothing at all. It's got to be glorious or it's zero. Something that will ooh and awe everyone. Some mighty event, some great ministry, some powerful moment that will put everyone in tears or in a state of great joy and celebration. We just cling to these dramatical moments and we try to fabricate them over and over and over again that we might get another spiritual high. And yet Jesus said, as he was speaking to the issue of greatness, he said in Mark 10, whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. If we'll just listen to the Spirit, day by day, moment by moment, 
and do what He asks us to do, we will soon see that even a simple conversation with a homeless man, though nothing great, can yet still be a spark that causes wonderful spiritual change both in us and in those around us. But I didn't believe that. I didn't believe that very much driving away. I did not believe that that just that that moment, simple as it was, as I was driving home, I was frustrated and saying, Lord, I mean, what, what was accomplished there? Really? You impress this upon my heart. I go there. I sit down with them. I listen for two hours. A little prayer, a small gift, but really, Lord, what was accomplished there? I, as driving home, I, I, I didn't believe that... that 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 was the right call, that that was the best use of my time. I had a good excuse. I had a sermon to prepare for. But as I walked through the door of my house, uh, I think I heard a better answer. I walked in the house, it was almost 10 o'clock, and as I unlocked the door and I walk in, uh, I could hear Mallory crying upstairs. It was late at night, I didn't, didn't know what was going on. As I w- walked upstairs, I realized that she was back in her room. Normally, not normally, but oftentimes on a, on a Friday or a Saturday night, we let Bennett and Mallory have a sleepover in one of their rooms. And this particular night, Mallory was in Bennett's room and they were both going to have a sleepover. But apparently Casey had separated them, presumably because they were not behaving. And Mallory was back in her room and she was crying. She was hysterically crying. Hysterically crying. Very upset saying, you know, I want to go back. I want to sleep in Bennett's room. She was really, she, she had a lot of selfishness built up in her, you know. She wasn't heeding her mother's uh, discipline or her direction. She wasn't calming down. She was hysterical. And as I, I walked up, I was wise not to use my excuse. I walked up and I said, honey, I have a sermon to prepare for, but please let me try here. No, and I just said, honey, I got this. And Casey walked out, and I, I sat down. I got on my knees before the bed with Mallory, and I just, she was still crying hysterically, very upset. And in the midst of, of her, her, her crying, I just simply asked her, can I tell you a story? She immediately calmed down. It's just kind of a random thing that I, I said. I wasn't thinking really much. Can I tell you a story? She said, Yeah. I said, Daddy met a man named Bill tonight and he doesn't have a home. He sleeps on the sidewalk and he's going to sleep on the sidewalk tonight. And Mallory said to me, she said, she immediately stopped crying and said, but he has his ice cream sandwich, right? But he has his ice cream sandwich. Right, Dada? And it almost brought me to tears. Right then and there. Because three mo- two months ago, we were in Seattle and the children were coming out of the restaurant holding 
ice cream sandwiches in their hands. Bennett had one and Mallory had one and they were given the ice cream sandwich by the waitress as kind of a parting dessert. We were leaving the restaurant up in downtown Seattle. We were walking outside and Bennett and Mallory were walking by a homeless man on the side of the road. And they're holding their ice cream sandwiches. And Bennett looks at me and says, Dad, what's he doing? And I said, he, he doesn't have a home. He doesn't have much food. He's, uh, he's going to sleep on the street tonight. And Bennett and Mally both, they took their ice cream sandwich. And they gave it to that man. And so Mallory thought in her psyche, late at night, as she had been crying hysterically, a selfish heart, a heart that was totally just centered on herself and calloused and, and not listening to her mom whatsoever, not being an obedient young gal, but just hard and selfish and self-centered. But just right then, in that moment, as I told her the story of the man on the sidewalk, her heart immediately changed and she remembered that she had given her ice cream sandwich to a homeless man two months ago and she just assumed that that was going to be the same homeless man. Immediately her heart, her selfish heart changed. She stopped crying on a dime. She went straight to bed and I walked downstairs to change my sermon. Jesus says, change your thinking. Stop measuring success as the world measures success. He says, even a cup of water in my name won't go unnoticed. Matthew 10, whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. There Jesus was speaking of, of actually giving cups of cold water to his disciples who were actually going out and spreading the, the gospel of the kingdom of God. But the principle applies to those who are the least of these. To those as the disciples were at that time who were being persecuted, who were being marginalized, who were on the outside. Matthew 25, Jesus speaks of the great judgment that we know on a, on a, on a uh, eschatological level is going to happen uh, when, when we all have been raptured and are with the Lord in heaven. But in Matthew 25, he speaks of a judgment on earth between the sheep and the goats. And he separates them. And he turns to the sheep and says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Read it again. Let's read it again. You, you tell me where the greatness is. I was hungry and you gave me food. Pretty simple. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. Doesn't seem like a lot, does it? I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Nothing glorious here. Nothing glorious. No fantastic event. No monumental high. 
No, nothing that brings in many by the hundreds and thousands and say, look what we did. We, we accomplished this great spiritual event. No, Jesus is speaking about day by day, moment by moment, who's in front of you and what are you going to do about it? And then the righteous will answer Jesus and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And then the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. You think a cup of water? Really? Can that really be what God wants of me today? Is that, is that my calling today? A cup of water? It seems so insignificant, God. An ice cream sandwich? Really? It seems so insignificant, God. Giving them food, giving them drink, it just feels like I'm not... That's, that's for the someone else. I need to do something great. But even a cup of cold water can lead to a great harvest. John 4. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And then the woman of Samaria said to Jesus, how is it that you, being a Jew, Ask a drink from me, a Samaritan. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. A great spiritual harvest can start with a small cup of water. It can start with an ice cream sandwich. It can start with a tug on your heart when you see a man sitting in the cold. And you know what? It feels like you have better things to do. Everything in you tells you you have better things to do. Everything in you says, your flesh says, this is beneath me. This is below me. I have bigger fish to fry. I'm more important than this. But you know, that, that's the flesh talking. That's the enemy distracting you. Causing you to think if it's not great and glorious, if there's not 500 people or 1,000 people, then it's nothing at all. God says, no. You give them a piece of bread. You give them a, a cup of water. You give them an ice cream sandwich. And just see the ripple effect that it will have on the one you've given it to and on your own heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, I pray that uh, we would really just listen to you. We're going through life and we have so many excuses, so many excuses. Busyness, busyness, busyness. One activity to another we leave no time in between. We're always late. We're always hurried. We're always rushing. And when we pass by, God, the real needs around us, we are oblivious to them. 
We confess that to you. God, would you help us to slow down, to listen to what you're saying to us. There is nothing more important than the kingdom of God, than this great feast of souls that you are inviting us to participate in. God, forgive us for making anything more important than that. Slow us down. Speak clearly to us, Lord Jesus. And when you speak, and when your spirit pulls at our heart, let us be quick to say yes. Whether it's a piece of bread, a cup of water, or an ice cream sandwich. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.